Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Okay, we're here. I'll show you. Dude, this is a national ballpark museum. They've got displays about all the great old ballparks, not old ball players. And I do mean old. Hey, that's not what I heard. I heard they got a display that features the first homegrown color Rocky. That would be me. Okay, look, there's Bruce Hellerstein over there. He owns the place. Let's go ask him. Hey, that's fine with me. Hi, Bruce. How's it going? Manny, Mark, good to see you guys. Come on in. Hey, Bruce, Manny here doesn't believe me. He doesn't believe you've got a Mark Knudsen display here at your museum. Well, he's sort of right. Right over here, we've got a display all about the Denver Zephyrs. I'm pretty sure Mark's Zephyrs baseball card is in there somewhere. Oh, his minor league card. I got you. Hey, it's something, right? If you say so. So, you two just come down here to see the displays? Actually, we're getting ready to do our podcast. Oh, wow. That's great. I had no idea they let you back on the air, Mark. What's your show called? It's the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. Give me a Knudsen. Knudsen! Thank you. Just how good is the National League West? What are the chances for teams not named the Dodgers to actually win it in any year? This week, we talk with Steve Gilbert from MLB.com. He covers the Rockies' rival, the Diamondbacks. And we ask him how Arizona has closed that gap, some, and what the Rockies need to do in order to do the same thing. A monumental task, any way you look at it. That's next, right here on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. We're back with Bruce Hellerstein, the owner of the National Ballpark Museum across from Coors Field. Bruce, a lot of baseball fans probably haven't been there. Tell them what they're missing. Well, Mark, uh, we're the only museum that is totally dedicated to the old classic ballparks, as well as the history of uh, baseball here in Denver and Colorado. We pride ourselves on being the home of those activities so people can uh, appreciate them. And with respect to the old ballparks, uh, I look at it, not only are they classic and built in location, they are American treasures. How can one think of America without mentioning the Fenways and the Wrigley's, for example? Tell them what they got to do to come see you. Well, we're open regular hours from 11 to 5 daily, with the exception of Sunday. And when we have Rocky home games, we will expand those hours as uh, needed. you got to come see it, Bruce. It's a wonderful place. The National Ballpark Museum on Blake Street, just across from Coors Field. Bruce, thanks. My pleasure, Mark. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Man, I'm going to start this week's show with a premise. Um, and it'll sound a little crazy out, right out of my mouth, but think about it. I think it's... It won't be the first time something crazy no, came I, out. I know, I know. I believe it is... More difficult to win the National League West than it is to win the World Series. Huh. Wow. Um, that's really interesting. I, I thought you were going to say then the National League pennant, nope. um, which I'm which I'm I might agree with, but I I'm still kind of thinking it it would be easier to win the West than that. But if you're the Rockies, it's yeah, why not? What's the difference? Yeah, it, they haven't won the division point. at yeah, all, never. ever. So um, um why don't you introduce our guests? Let's yeah, we're, we are we are pleased to have uh, LB.com uh, D-backs writer Steve Gilbert on with us. Uh, thrilled to have you on, Steve. Thanks for joining. We just we got to talk about the D-backs because um, before as we do we, that, though, I, I want to get his take on that on my premise. What do you think, Steve? Am I right? All right, all right. Go ahead. 
Wow. What it, well, is that are you? Pre, are you prefacing that because of uh, how good the Dodgers have been lately? Well, I mean, not just the Dodgers, of... but the entire. I mean, obviously, the Giants won three World Series and a couple of them without winning the National League West. I mean, that's theoretically possible. I think I was thinking. Well, more you about... have to specify who you're who you're talking about. Are you talking about the Rockies trying to win the West? No, you're talking no, about it, the Dodgers well, trying to win the, the West. The Dodgers have won the West a bunch of times. Only won the World Series once. I get that, but I say more about the Phillies last year because the Phillies, you know, a few bounces here and there, they might end up beating the Astros. They wouldn't have won the National League West last year. Um, so I think be, because of the expanded playoff, and we've talked about this before, man, you get more teams get in and all that, and you get hot at the right time. The grind of 182 game season, 162 game season, tougher to win this division. Yes, obviously because of the Dodgers and, and the Giants, but tougher to win this division than it is to maybe get hot for a couple of weeks and, and steal a World Series. Well, I think overall, certainly, like for any division, it, it, it seems like, aside for you know American League Central these days, it seems like it's. Uh, it, 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 if you get hot at the right time in the playoffs, I mean that's really what it's all about, right? We've seen that we've mm-hmm. seen the Giants what they won 107 games, the Dodgers yeah. won 106, and neither one of them made it to the, uh, neither one of them won the World Series that year. So, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, once you get into playoffs, anything can happen. And if you're the, if you happen to be hot at the right time, like the Phillies have been, and we've seen some other teams that have run through the the, the playoffs like that, um, yeah, for sure. I think a small sample size, uh, you, you you know, that the best team doesn't always win. Yeah. This this division's a meat grinder. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, the Potters are having a bad year, and they're still a good team, and they're still a lot a lot better than the Rockies. As Manny mentioned at the outset, the Diamondbacks and the Rockies were thought to be kind of on a similar plane, and now the Diamondbacks have taken a big leap. And other than a, a bad second half, still I don't still have a shot at making the postseason. The Rockies are buried. They've been playing well lately, the Diamondbacks. Yeah. So I mean, they, yeah. they're. It seems like as after Mike Hazen kind of tried to quote unquote shake things up a little bit with some roster moves. They've been playing well. So, yeah, they're right in the thick of it. And uh, as you're saying, Mark, that the Rockies aren't no, in the thick no, of it. No, and they won't be for the foreseeable future, they, maybe ever. I mean, I, I we've talked about this before, man. The Rockies' best chance to win a division is realignment. Yeah. That's their best chance. It is. A bit, I mean, it's it, – that. Uh, yeah, that's that's where the Rockies – and that's why, you know, we have Steve on here to talk about the um, the West, but more specifically about the, about the D-backs because we kind of want to know how they got – from where they were maybe 2019-ish to where they are now because um, the Rockies and D-backs. The D-backs, uh, I want to say, was it 21 where they lost 100 and however many games? I mean, it was a brutal yeah, season for them. 110 losses. Yeah. yeah. And and le- and less than three years or two years later, they're in the, you know, they're trying to win a, a wild card spot. So what um, maybe if you can give us a 30,000 foot view of what happened between then and now, just for our, our listeners who may not be as familiar with the D-backs. Well, I think, you know, part of it is they, they, they had some injuries that year, but I think they, they, the draft, they've drafted very well. They've got a, a young team. Corbin Carroll's now part of that team. that wasn't in 2021, Alec Thomas, um, you know, Jake McCarthy, even though he's in the minors now was a big part of, uh, of some of their success. Um, you know, Geraldo Perdomo has come up and, and matured in, in front of our eyes. Um, they they just uh, they've acquired Gabriel Moreno, um, you know, Ryan Nelson, uh, Tommy Henry. I mean, they've, they've had a lot of guys come up through their system. Uh, that have been contributing and and you know we've been hearing about them we've been hearing about that they were coming they were coming um and you know finally started to kind of wash ashore uh you know in in towards the end of 21 and then into last year and especially towards the end of last year you started to see what could be a a, a kind of a core team going forward 
Hey, Steve, these two teams, these two teams were in the playoffs against each other in 2017, right? They played in the wild card game in 2017. Yeah. Um, a precipitous fall for both of them, really. Um, the Rockies, maybe not by design, with you know, letting obviously losing Arenado and letting Mayhew go and the glut of terrible free agent signings. Did the Diamondbacks did they tank for lack of a better term when they when they had that same fall? No, what's interesting about that, Mark, is that they refused to to tank, um, and that's did, what made twenty twenty one so bad. Tank, yeah, or did they actually refuse to do it? No, they actually, they it. actually, no, they actually refused to do it because here's what happened: after 2017, 2018 rolls around, and they're in first place in the NL West at the beginning of every month, and they had an epic collapse in in September. Yep. I mean, they won five games, six games, seven, whatever it was in September, and fell out of it. So. Then they lost Paul Goldschmidt and AJ Pollock to free agency and Patrick Corbin. I'm sorry, they lost Patrick Corbin and AJ Pollock to free agency. They traded Paul Goldschmidt yep. and got instead of go, getting younger guys back, they got guys that were that were major league ready, a Luke Weaver and and Carson Kelly. Hazen was was reluctant and said then he doesn't like tanking. He doesn't want to do that. So they kept trying to put things together and kind of keep it together as opposed to tanking in 2019. So they were pretty mediocre for most of 2019. They hopped in the race briefly for a couple of weeks there in, in September. Um, but, but they kept making these little moves like trading Granky at the deadline for four guys that it had that hasn't panned out either, but it was four guys that were thought to be pretty good, you know, in, in uh, J.V. Bukoskis, a pitcher, Corbin Martin, a pitcher, uh, Seth Beer and Josh Rojas. They felt like they had four guys that could contribute. They also acquired Zach Gallon. So oh, yeah. 2020, yeah, 2020, they went, they went, they went in, they, they, they increased their budget, signed Madison Bumgarner, mm-hmm. uh, traded for Starling Marte. Um, they thought 2020 was going to be the year that they finally put it together. And then the pandemic hit and they had a good start in 2020. And then they had two and 18 stretch, which just kind of, you know, when, when you're playing 60 games, a two and 18 stretch uh, ends your season. And then 2021 was just, you know, they would back off season 2020, the, a lot of teams having lost so much money, but hundred million dollars, whatever they lost in yeah. the pandemic, the Diamondbacks owners, similar to the Rockies, not super deep pockets. I think, did, I mean, the thought around baseball was that they were kind of going to take their foot off the gas spending wise because of the losses of the pandemic. And so they turned to the farm system. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, again, but they didn't trade away, you know, like big contracts to try to, you know, save money and, and try to lose. Um, they actually were 14 and 12 at the end of April and in 2021 and, and thought that, you know, maybe they might have a shot, but you know, Luke Weaver never panned out for them. Carson Kelly didn't really pan out for them. Um, a whole lot of stuff went wrong for them in 2021, and it was uh, it was an embarrassing embarrassing season for them. The um, you talked about the farm system, and I think this is where um, we start to diverge between the the backs and the Rockies because of, as far as development goes, um, Corbin Carroll is the poster boy for this, right? I mean, he was a legitimate MVP candidate in the first half of the season. Um, amazing tools all the way around. We've seen kind of what he can do. And obviously you mentioned some of the other guys that the D-backs have developed. Um, how would you describe their overall development philosophy and effectiveness? Um, obviously we're seeing the fruits of that right now. So it, it, it seems like they've been doing a pretty good job because the, the that may be the answer to our question. How did the D-backs get to where they are versus where the Rockies still are, um, you know, just a few years ago? I mean, yeah, they 
Rockies have brought up Ezekiel Tovar. He looks like a big leaguer, um, great defensive player. His bat's starting to come around a little bit. Um, and uh, Nolan Jones might be a keeper as well. Um, but he was also a, a trade. He, he was he was a, tra- a trade acquisition. He wasn't developed by the Rockies. So I think there is something lacking in the Rockies' uh, development program, um, and that's why <clears throat> it seems like that's why they're so far behind where the D-backs are. How would let's you describe talk, the D-backs? Let's talk let's one, one more fact before Steve answers. The Rockies, after that two two years of playoff team, well, spent two hundred fifty million dollars and got a negative WAR back, right? I don't think well, it wasn't after the playoff seasons. That was including uh, that was, I think, since Nolan Arenado had joined up, um, since he had called up to the big leagues in twenty, whatever it was, fourteen, thirteen, and um, but still, yeah, ten years, two hundred fifty million dollars. That was before Bryant, uh, and that was a negative floor war or something like that for that group of free agents. And then Bryant's a negative point one so, so far, so it's not D-backs, Steve, exactly. The D-backs avoided that kind of. I know some of these guys yes. haven't had that, like you said, but the D-backs right. avoided that kind of mess. So yeah, that's one. That's yeah. So we talked free agency, but but maybe if you can address those two areas, because the, the the first the development side of things, how the D-backs have done it, and then the uh, as far as free agency, the D-backs don't exactly have a great record recently of that either. I mean, Madison Bumgarner is no longer with them anymore. He's unemployed. Disaster. Yeah, that was yeah. The, the, the the Bumgarner deal was a disaster. And a matter of fact, it was you know what eighty five million dollars and. And it was backloaded too. So the they had a lot they, of. So the year they could have saved the most money in 2020 um, was the year that he had taken a small amount because they were trying to to compete. So his salary in 2020 was only six million dollars, and that's before oh, wow. you talk about the prorated thing. So they didn't even save any money on him during the during the pandemic. So yeah, that that deal turned out to be a bad one for him. But I think that they have put a lot of focus and time into the draft, and they've, they've focused on up the middle athletic players figuring that they'll find positions for these guys. Like if a guy can play center field or a guy can play shortstop, they can play other positions. Um, And that kind of led to them having these outfielders like, you know, Dalton Varsho turned out to be an outfielder for them because they, they loved his athleticism even behind the plate. And they flipped Um, him for Moreno. And they flipped him for Moreno and uh, Lourdes Gurriel. And Gurriel. Yeah. Who's been a huge contributor for them this year. Um, so they did a nice job of, of kind of building a, a group of talent, whether again, Alec Thomas and Jake McCarthy. And these are all guys that they figured, hey, we'll find positions for, you know, Perdomo. And then they also just drafted Jordan Lawler a couple of years ago, a, a shortstop that that just got promoted to AAA. And he's kind of on the verge. So, that you know, they've they've always kind of now focused under this regime of, of, on athletic guys, athletic up the middle players. And pitching. I mean, they've got guys, you know, we've seen Dre Jameson's hurt right now. and Ryan Nelson's, you know, in, taking a break in the minor leagues right now. Um, but Tommy Henry was a guy they got out of college. They've done some, they've had some success with high school guys like Slate's Coney, who just came up and is is pitching okay for them. So they, they've really focused on starting pitching and also athletic up the middle, up the middle diamond kind of guys. How about the development part of that for a minute, though? Um we've talked about this ad nauseum with the Rockies uh, doesn't seem to be a consistent message from level to level, whether yeah. hitters or pitchers, especially pitchers. Are they, are, are they getting good marks for their development process in the minor leagues? Are they, are they got good people down there sending a similar message and guys coming up and they're ready when they get to Arizona? Yeah, I think what they've done, Mark, and it's, it's kind of an interesting thing in the last couple of years, something that I had never seen before is, They've got, uh, along with their pitching coach and assistant pitching coach and hitting coach and assistant hitting coach, they have two others 
the two other hitting coaches, two other pitching coaches. And those two, one will be in the major leagues. The other will be uh, at the minor leagues, going through the minor league levels, making sure that everything is being done in a consistent, you know, whatever their hitting philosophy is, it's being done at, at those other levels. So Very that's kind of how they're, they're doing that. We talked about that with Dante last week, Manny. That's kind of an old school approach. It's um, yeah, we had Dante Bichette on last week and just to talk about developing hitters in particular. And he said that back in the, you know, in his, in his time, he had a roving hitting instructor and um, you didn't have like different coaches at each level. And he, he said, you know, he thought that was better because he thought there's just way too many people, way too many voices in guys' heads and hitters' heads. And it's like, they get too much, it's kind of overload. They get, you know, you got at one level, you're doing something. And then on the next level, you're doing something else. Cause you have a different hitting coach with a different philosophy. And even he said with the roving hitting coach, they'd show up, he said, and uh, you know, we did, we, we, we nod our head. And then as soon as he left, we just throw it all out and just start going back to what we naturally would do. And that's, he said, that's what he did. He did with Bo is that, you know, he didn't really try to over school him, you know, I mean, obviously yeah. he's a big leaguer. He taught his son how to be a good hitter, but he didn't overdo it because he didn't want to overload. He wanted to develop his own style. So, so you're saying that they have an extra coach that acts like maybe that roving instructor? Yes, in the yeah, that kind of acts like that, just to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Uh, spends a lot of time at the at the upper levels of the minor leagues, but just to make sure that everybody is is being taught what what needs to be taught, and that there's consistent messages, um, and the development plan for each of the guys is is kind of staying consistent. Seems like that's what the Dodgers do well too. We've we've heard a lot about how they are really laser focused on consistency throughout their level, the minor league levels. Free agent wise, we talked a little bit about how the Rockies have spent a lot of money. So what? They bungled it. I need to say they. Yeah, they did. They bungled it. I mean, uh, Ian Desmond, Chris Chris Bryant, so far is is looking like you know that signing is a disaster, and it's not Chris's fault. Chris is neither was it Ian Desmond's fault. Ian Desmond just wasn't a seventy million dollar player, you know, and they gave him the money. And his yeah, best quote me. from here in his time here was, "I'm not giving the money back," you know, and he's right. Like, <laughs> you're gonna pay me what you think I'm worth, and I'm not gonna stop you, you know. And so that turned out not to work out very well. And then the Bryant thing, I mean. It's on the Rockies again. I mean, you're going to sign a guy who's going on 31 with an injury history. That's and 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 declining production to some degree. And so the the Rockies obviously have made curious moves to to say the least. The D-backs um, also did that with Madison Bumgarner. What do you think happened with with with, with the Bumgarner situation? I talked to him a few times when he came through here. You know, he just they, they just didn't seem to have much of an explanation for what it was. I I just wonder if there was just too much mileage on that arm. I think there was too much mileage on that arm. I, I, I think that's why he, he hasn't resurfaced with anybody else. You know, normally in a situation like this, you at least see another team kind of jump up and say, well, we can fix this. You know, like, you know, everybody, yeah. you know. But, I mean, the Rays could have gone and said, hey, you know, come on down here. You know, we yeah. fix everybody else. Yeah. And we'll pay you the minimum uh, to do it. But, I, you know, that's a it's a great question. I think they didn't they were looking for. I think they thought they were getting Madison Bumgarner that was going to be an innings eater and a guy that was going to lead some of the, you know, younger pitchers and young guys on the staff. And I, I don't think that they, they fully did some research on a lot of that stuff. And and he just didn't have a lot left in the tank. It didn't appear. I mean, his fastball was, was quite a bit down, you know, he and Brent Strom initially seemed to, to, to hit it off and, and have some success. But uh, by the end, I don't think that, that either, either side was, was, happy with the other and depends on who you listen to as to whether they, you know, Madison tried the stuff that they wanted him to do and it didn't work or 
he didn't stick with it the way they would have liked him to. So that was just just a bad sign all the way around and and kind of, you know, speaks to your point that sometimes when you, you know, when you when you dip into those free agent waters and you, you, it it's it can get dicey. But you know and what about a... the shoulder real quick before we move on from Bumgarner? What about the shoulder? I mean, he hurt that here in, in Colorado on an off day while he was with the Giants. Did they not quite give that enough weight? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what what all had played into it, but it's just like you'd seen if you looked at the numbers and you're you're a numbers guy, you 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 study that and know more about it than I do. You could kind of see that that his secondary numbers were trending in a bad direction. Yeah, uh, a couple of years before they signed him. So again, it was a it was a curious sign at the time because they usually don't spend a ton of money on free agents, and so. Um, you know, the, the, the Zach Greinke one was, was out of left field. And then the, the Bumgarner one was, uh, was a surprise and that didn't work out. But you know, the old saying is it's not what happens to you. It's how you handle it. And everybody throws money and makes mistakes in free agency. Every single team, the Dodgers do it. Everybody does it. Right. It's how you bounce back from that, how you recover from, from that mistake. And the Rockies just quite frankly, don't, especially on the pitching side, they just have not gotten anywhere when when the Jake McGee's and the Wade Davis's and those guys don't pan out. It's like, okay, well, we'll just, go to the bargain bin and and we'll try to re- resuscitate Daniel Bard's career and blah, blah, blah. But the Diamondbacks, obviously you get a Zach Gallon, you, you get some of these guys, they've really got some good arms there. I mean, when you can let Patrick Corbin go, you must know you've got something behind him. Well, I didn't, yeah, well they, by they, the way, well, Patrick, not letting, letting Patrick Corbin go was actually, I mean, it turned out okay. Yes, it exactly. Turned out pretty well. Exactly. It was, a, it was, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have the money probably to sign him um, or AJ Pollock, but again, you know, it's tough for teams like the Rockies, like the Diamondbacks, when you make a mistake in free agency, when you don't have the money, the Dodgers or the Yankees or some of the bigger markets, you can kind of just, okay, well, we we, we lost that $80 million. We'll go spend another 80 um, yeah. where it's not as easy for some of these smaller to mid-market teams. Those mistakes really can end up uh, can end up hampering a franchise. They're spending that, that $80 million in the minors now instead of at another free agent. Is that accurate? Yeah, they're, they're spending money. They just built a pitching lab at Salt River Fields. They, they, they invested a lot in that technology. So um, they, they've been not to share with there. the Rockies, I'm sure. Yeah, no, no, probably not letting them uh, letting him into the hitting and pitching lab. Um, Brent Strom said something interesting when I was I covered covered the D-backs for Steve when the, they were here to play the Rockies a couple weeks ago. And Brent Strom said something really candid and very interesting about the Rockies, almost unsolicited. Everything he says, by the way, is candid. Yes. I just yeah. so you know. <laughs> right, yeah. So and it was it was it was kind of almost unsolicited. He's like, it was almost kind of a by the way deal where he's like, the Rockies are going about this backwards with pitching. I mean, mm-hmm. he just just went right at it. He just mm-hmm. said, Look, you need to be wow. going, you need to be good. He said, You need to be and he, they've been trying to get, you know, ground ball pitchers and all that. What they need to do is get high fastball pitchers. They need a high velocity up in the zone guys throw that 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 fastball that looks like it's rising to get them to pop up go under the ball and not not completely avoid the fly ball just make sure the fly ball doesn't go out of the ballpark and I thought that was interesting and uh, I talked to some people about that but I, I thought that was very interesting that he brought that up because it's almost like if I was here here's what I would do and it's, it's kind of like wow maybe maybe if the Rockies uh not not that they're gonna poach him or take him away from the D-backs, but maybe if the Rockies went and, and not- tried to Something, something, somebody really bold like that, you know, maybe that would but help. Others have said it too. Not just not, not too many people in uniform. Jason Hurst has said the same thing to us, Manny. That that it, you know, you got to get power pitchers here if you're going to try yep. to compete. You got to get start guys. His was more about, I think, swing and miss, but which is part of it, but yep. um, miss bats, but also just to get guys to, because Strom said that they're going to have their sight lines. They're not going to change that sight line, and if you get that ball 
up in the zone, they're going to pop up on it a lot. So he is he is a big, big, big proponent of high fastballs. And when he came yeah. over, the first thing he Hard pointed out, yeah, first thing he pointed out to to Diamondback uh, people during his you know quasi interview was more of a courtship that they were courting him, you know, it wasn't like, right. Uh, so, but one of the things he said to him is you guys are last in the league and in, in percentage of fastballs up in the zone that has to change. And uh, so he is big, big on that. Um, he's big on the four seam fastball too. He's, he, he likes to joke, you know, who, uh, you know, who throws two seam fastballs, people who don't have good four seam fastballs. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's really big on that up in the zone. And that dovetails, with, that dovetails with what Dante was talking about too last week about guys, how many out of, out of 10 swing and misses, how many of the guys were under the ball as opposed to how many guys were over the ball. Um, and he's right. right. And, and also, yeah, because you're taking advantage of the contemporary fad, right? You're, you know, trying to get under the ball and lift it, you know? So yeah, that is interesting. <clears throat> what? So where the D-backs are now, Steve, do, do you, obviously right now it's a crapshoot from here on out. Like who knows, like who knows what right. they get in and who knows what's going to happen and they get in. The Diamondbacks can miss it all together. They can win the World Series. Who knows? But what do you foresee in the in the coming years for this team? It, it, it seems like they're set up for to be competitive for a while. Yeah, I think they've got, you know, again, they've got these young guys up here now that we talked about. And they've also got Jordan Lawler, uh, Drew Jones, an outfielder that they picked, uh, you know, second overall, uh, not this past draft, but the draft before that. So they do have some, you know, a little bit more coming. It's not as much as this this last wave because, you know, how that goes. You start drafting a little deeper in a draft in the first round, and it's harder to find those, some of those guys. But that's kind of their their MO now is they have to have this, this kind of continuing pipeline coming up. Um, but I think they'll dip a little bit probably in the free agency this offseason and, and see what they can do. But, uh, again, I think they are set up nicely from – they do have some pitching coming up as well. So, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of balanced out in, the, in that regard. For a while there, it was just felt like they had uh, left-handed hitting outfielders who could run, and that was all <laughs> – that was what they yeah. had. Well, know? I mean, so, the develop – the uh, emergence, I guess you could say, of Zach Gallen is, is, I think, something that a lot of people – didn't see coming. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, I've got a Cy Young vote and I think, you know, for right now, the way things are going, I mean, he's a, he's a front runner for, for NL Cy Young. So like he really kind of had that breakout year last year. Where'd this guy come from? If you could tell us a little bit more, obviously he was acquired in a trade, but where, how, how did he get to where he's gotten? Where can, where can you find another one? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I'm still trying to figure out how the how the Marlins uh, gave up on him. I know Jazz yeah. Chisholm was was at the time a, a, a top prospect, and he's a, he's a very good player too. And no no disrespect intended to Jazz, but to get a pitcher like Zach Gallon, he's a guy that is absolutely relentless in terms of searching for the the, the next edge, whatever he can get. I've yet to talk to him after a game, no matter how he's pitched, in which he said that he felt great. Like it's always, I felt okay. Oh, I couldn't quite, didn't quite have the feel I wanted on this pitch, or I didn't, I got to work on this. I got to work on that and studies the data. Dan Heron's been a big, uh, a big, I wonder how much Dan Heron is not getting enough credit for a lot of the stuff that's going on. Is, am I kind of onto something there? Yeah. He's, you know, he's behind the scenes as their, their quote unquote pitching strategist puts together some really good game plans. And, and that was something that he and uh, Madison Bumgarner did not get along So that uh, he was that was one pitcher that that Danny did not do, you know, game plans for. But um, Zach is super cerebral. So the the two of them sit down before it starts. You you know, you can see him in the lunchroom at at a table hunched over, kind of going over video or or going over some numbers. 
So Zach is 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 relentless in terms of you mentioned Cy Young. Like he he finished what he finished fourth or fifth last year in a Cy I think Young. Fourth, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He 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 can tell you the names of the ten guys that left him off the ballot completely. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so so he he does know. Uh, so he uses everything. We always always joke. He's always like uh, looking for slights. His favorite. His favorite all-time player is Michael Jordan. As a, oh well, there you go, man. As a UNC I mean, guy, making so up slides, yeah. making up yes. slides just because you know it gets them going. By the way, yes. you've got to do this, man. Um, I was on a different podcast with Jesse Friedman this morning, and um, he didn't know this story either. But you got to tell our listeners how how uh, you got into pick up pick up basketball game with Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, uh, back in 1994. I was doing the public relations for the Arizona Fall League, and that was the year Michael Jordan played out here. So basically, I was doing you know Michael Jordan's public relations for three months. And Terry Francona was a manager, and you know Tito's Mark. You remember you, you did you oh, play yeah, with Tito? Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- you know Tito's the best, and and so. Tito and I would always hang out and 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 you know grab grab dinner or whatever. And and uh, one Sunday we were going to have dinner, and he he calls me and he says, Hey, we've got changing plans. We're, we're going to go play some basketball. And so who are we I, playing against? <laughs> yeah. So I show up at the, uh, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting, hold on. I'm getting space jam vibes here. Are you I yeah. think Wayne Knight character in yeah. space jam? Was that your job? <laughs> so I, you know, we, uh, it was, it was, I hate, it sounds weird to even say it. It was me, Terry, uh, the coaches and Michael against, uh, against the uh, group players. That is uh, amazing. Five on five game. So, Yes, that is so it, cool, and that's the reason. That's the reason why you do you shave the head, right? That is, or is that just is that is that no, just? You know, I will budget? tell you something. I will tell you something. We were driving around one time. I, I was for the first few days, at least. I had to ride with Michael to make sure he knew how to get from where he was staying to the ballpark and whatnot. And he looked over at me, and I had a I had a comb over going at that point. I was in my what mid twenties, and I had a comb over going, and and uh, he goes, "What are you doing?" Like, what are you doing with your hair? <laughs> and I just out of nowhere, just just out of nowhere, right? And and so I said, well, you know, whatever. And he's like, just shave it off, man. And I said, like at that time, you know, guys didn't just like shave their heads. It was 1994, and I, I was like, ah, I don't, I, I don't know about that. That that's not a good, that's not a good look. And he pointed at himself, and he said, what are you talking about? And I said, wait, you don't understand. Like you're Michael Jordan. You can do that. And he said, uh, I, it's something I've always remembered. He said, that's not the point. The point is to be who you are. Don't try mm-hmm. to be somebody else. So don't try to cover it up. Just mm-hmm. shave your head. Wow. Deep. That's, Let, that's really interesting. That's, that is that's really interesting. That, that is a Space Jam story. No question about it. Steve, who won, by the way? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, not we that won, I the answer to this. We won, we won, but not by anything that I did. <laughs> Lyle Mouton was a was a. Oh, was wow. A Lyle Mouton was on there. Okay. Yeah, he, he was, was a he was, he was a pretty guy. tall dude, right? Like he was he pretty was, he was big. He was yeah. big. And I think he played some basketball at LSU. And at one point, um, you know, he ended up dunking and it, it wasn't on Michael. He likes to say it was on Michael, but it, he, you know, whatever. If you and get so within said, within six feet of him and you dunk, you're gonna say it was on Michael Jordan. Yes. Yeah, so he said as he was running back up the court, I'm gonna tell my my grandkids. I dunked on Michael Jordan. So we came down, we came down the other end of the court and Michael kind of was like, everybody clear out. Everybody clear out. It was just he and Lyle and he did a move this way, that way. And Lyle had no chance and he dunked on, he made a massive dunk. I remember being kind of roughly by the basket when it happened. So just kind of like getting caught staring up at it, thinking, (laughs) my God, I can't believe I'm this close to the other guy on the poster, the teammate. Yeah, exactly. He's looking 
And, it's and, like, you know, if Zach Gallon has that mentality, he's going to go far, right? Yes. Down. And so I said, I'll clean it up. I'll clean it up for you. But then as we're jogging back up the court, he he let Lyle Mouton know that he would let his grandkids know that uh, he got dunked on by Michael Jordan. Not the other <laughs> there you go. That's how it's going to be told. Yes. Yeah. Before we wrap this up, I, I do want to get your, your take, Steve, on the National League West. We haven't really spent a lot of time on it around here because everybody's just wallowing in the misery. But this is a great division. And I mean, the Padres are a pretty darn good baseball team and not living up to expectations. But the Giants are overachieving again. We've seen this movie before. The Dodgers are the Dodgers. Well, how do you see this thing turning out? It's a it's a I can't get over the Padres, Mark. I, I, I you know, we were just in San Diego and you just look at that lineup and oh, it's just it's just amazing to me. Um, so I, I'm stunned by where the where the Padres are in this in this whole thing. But it is every year now you got the, the Dodgers are, are just going to be tough. I guess we just have to accept yep. that. But the Giants have found a way like I did not think that this year they were going to be competitive again. And, no way. Again, we agree. You know, they're mixing and matching and, and they yep. it's amazing I, you know between Cobb and, and Logan Webb on the pitching side and I don't know how they're getting it done at the plate honestly but um you know that 106 or 107 win season they're going to be dissecting that for decades to come trying to figure out how they got that how they made that happen this yeah. year it's getting the same vibes to a lesser extent like how are they doing this I just wonder if the Padres don't get their act together and the Giants regress to what we think they are could this become a Dodgers D-backs thing over the next few years? You know, baseball is so unpredictable. And you just yeah. you just hit the nail on the head when you talked about everyone's dissecting the 107 win season by the Giants, trying to figure yeah. it out. And they look like that year was like, boy, the Giants have the secret formula, whatever it is. Remember they had, mm-hmm. the, you know, they had more coaches than anybody else. Oh, that's right. Certain yeah. Things and and they had did their batting practice a certain way. And so maybe that was the way to do it. And, you know, there was the, the yeah. all that kind of stuff. And then they they fell off last year. It, it's just it's yeah. it's so hard to predict. So could it be the the Dodgers and Diamondbacks? Sure, it could be. But I remember in 07 when the when the Diamondbacks and Rockies played in the uh, NLCS, and everybody thought, "Wow, the Rockies had these this young group of guys coming up." The Diamondbacks had Chris Young, Justin Upton, come Stephen Drew coming up, and these two teams were going to battle it out for supremacy in the NL West for for years to come. And exactly. Best laid plans. I mean, it's just instead the Dodgers and Giants went on a miraculous tear through the whole teens. Um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I don't think the Padres. Maybe the Padres may need a managerial change or something to get them jump started. But that roster is too talented for them not to be in the mix of this. Here's the thing about the Padres, though: the Padres have been spending money like crazy for like five years. And they have, yeah, they got to the NLCS last year, but that's all they have to show for it. And you just, you just wonder how long they could continue to do that. It's all every time they do something, you know, on Twitter, it's like, where's the money coming from? Like, this is crazy. Like, how are they? They're talking about extending Juan Soto now and, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, it's kind of cool that they, they're going for it that way. I was really kind of excited for them on, on what they were doing. It just hasn't hasn't worked yet. And it's been a while, you know, so yeah. I don't know. I was excited, too. And I think you saw that by them selling out so many of their games. And like yeah. when we were just in there this past week, I mean, all all the games were sold out. It was it was amazing. Electric. Um, but the team just hasn't quite lived up to it. So it, it's an interesting experiment. I'm, I'm real curious to see now how it goes going forward. Do they keep spending? Does, does the the rubber meet the road at some point in terms of, you know, the, the cash in versus cash out? Um, I guess we'll see. You know, and you obviously I was watching on Saturday and I couldn't believe all the people in the stands. I'm thinking you guys need to go home. There's a hurricane coming. There's a hurricane on the way. And, you guys and it was a re- baseball. Yeah. 
and I, it was a rescheduled game too. Yes. And it was it was a, a one o'clock header. game. Double yeah. header, yeah. yeah it was a, yeah, it was a twelve forty start. It was supposed to be a six a six forty start that night or five whatever. Yeah, six forty start that night, and and instead they got almost a sellout crowd there for the for the one twelve forty. That's game. that's amazing. Well, I'm sandbagging my house, but okay. When when I was uh, when I was on the on the beat for you for a couple of days, they were it was right after the weekend where they did the um, throwbacks, and they had yeah. Luis Gonzalez and a lot of D backs, you know, legends back and everything else. And I've always been pro that purple and you know that that that, oh, that old school look. Yeah. I I really want the Marlins to go back to floor, becoming the Florida Marlins and doing the whole you know teal and everything else. You like but teal. there was a a lot of talk in that clubhouse that day by reporters asking and everything else. Um, and because I think Gallon went on Twitter and did a poll about yeah. like, you know, yeah, do, do you, you want like this back? Do you like these back? back? Yeah. Should we should we bring them back more often? As in forever, all the time, which I'm totally for. And everybody we talked to, you know, I think we talked to like four or five players and then Tori also. And except he said, you know, I didn't have the guns, you know, to like show <laughs> for the, back for in those, there was, there was yeah. a gun show back in those days. But um, I, I, you think that'll get any traction? Because I'm just curious from a personal standpoint. I'd love to see it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't... You guys know this real quick, though. But Thomas, you know, Thomas is all into the uniform. Yeah. He said uh, yeah, vests, are out. vests are out. That's a Thomas Harding thing. Don't even think about vests. That's I don't all. care. I, I hated the Rockies vests, the black ones. I so I, I mean, that's not, I'm not a vest guy in particular. But those with the D backs, a couple of things. One, it's their first uniform, and two, they won. They won it all. Like there's there there are some memories, you know, when you throw those on. But yeah, I was really disappointed to be honest with you when they switched the uh, colors uh, because I just felt like they were switching to uh, they call it Sedona red, but it's red yeah. and and you know Sonoran sand. It's red, kind of a tan and and black it just makes them look like a lot of other teams. I mean, you yeah. know, for you know, there's so many yeah, teams they stood out before. Yes. And I, I really admire that the Rockies haven't changed that initial CR logo. I mean, you build some history that way. I mean, I know it hasn't been the history that necessarily they wanted, but you know, there's some tradition and there's some, you know what you're seeing when you see that, that, that CR. And uh, I'd love to see them go back to the purple and teal. I think that was, I think that makes it unique. That's just like the Rockies purple and black is unique than silver. Um, so yeah, my, my personal opinion, will it happen? I, that remains to be seen. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see. Well, around here, we need to see the Rockies, um, whatever uniforms they were, they got yeah. to figure out how to, how to win some baseball games. Cause they probably... do because it's such a great market, you know, it really is. Every oh, time yeah. we go the there, I'm always amazed that, that there's so much passion for Denver sports. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a really cool place to, and, and we don't have hurricanes here either. Yes. So that's... No, but you do. You do have that 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 snow. It's like eighty degrees one day, and then it's snowing the next. That's always you get all the seasons in one day. Yeah, that's part of why Chris Bryant came here. That's right. (laughs) He loves it. Hey, Steve, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, Thanks again. We'll catch up with you next time you come through town and uh, enjoy the heat and uh, get get that jump shot going. So when Michael comes back, you can contribute. You told me the next day. I will tell you this. You told me the next day. I, I. Someday we'll get into a longer story, but I wound up in the hospital after that game. Oh, <laughs> and uh, he said to me, he called me over. He had that big finger wag yeah. that he would do. And he called me over the next day and and uh, he said, you're never playing basketball with us again. And <laughs> I was very thankful for that in a lot of ways. And I said, why is that? He said, because I can't enjoy myself if I have to worry about you keeling over and dying on the court. <laughs> That's so. great. You hey, the man, Steve. You, thanks, Steve. Manny, close it out. I'll close it out. I'll close it out. Back right after this. Park adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us.
The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. It was great to have Steve Gilbert on the podcast this week. And since we're talking about the D-backs and the Rockies, in this edition of The Closer, we'll dive into the history of the two franchises a little bit to see how they've done in the 25 to 30 years that they've been around. The Rockies' inaugural season was 1993. The D-backs played their first season in 1998. In fact, the first regular season game in D-backs history came against the Rockies at what was then known as Bank One Ballpark, or the Bob, now it's Chase Field, on March 31st of that year. Benny Castillo welcomed the new club to the majors by launching two homers in a 9-2 Colorado victory. The Rockies became the fastest expansion team in Major League history to reach the postseason when they claimed the first ever National League wild card in 1995, the franchise's third season and first at Coors Field after playing its first two years at Mile High Stadium. Colorado was beaten three games to one in the best-of-five NLDS that year by the eventual World Series champion Braves. The Rockies' record for fastest expansion team to reach the postseason was short-lived. The D-backs won the NL West in their second season, eventually losing the NLDS to the Mets three games to one. And that's a good starting point for further comparison, division titles. Including that first one in 1999, the D-backs have won five NL West titles in their 25-year history. The Rockies have never won the NL West, and that division title drought will extend to 31 years next month. In terms of all-time record, entering Wednesday, Arizona was 1,980 and 2,095, which works out to a 486 winning percentage. The Rockies entered Wednesday with a record of 2,249 and 2,572, a winning percentage of 467. The D-backs have reached the postseason six times. The Rockies have reached the postseason five times. The D-backs have one World Series championship, which came in 2001 when Arizona defeated the Yankees in seven games. The Rockies have zero World Series titles, though they did reach the World Series once in 2007 when they were swept by the Red Sox. These two clubs were both in a bad way in 2021. The Rockies had their third consecutive losing season after reaching the playoffs in back-to-back years for the first time in franchise history in 2017 and 18. The D-backs, meanwhile, had a brutal year, losing 110 games. But as we discussed with Steve on the podcast, one of these two teams took some significant steps forward, and the other, well, did not. It seems a major reason for the divergence between the clubs is player development. Sure, the Rockies can point to Ezekiel Tovar and Nolan Jones as emergent players, who could be major contributors for Colorado in the future. But Tovar, while showing great strides both defensively and at the plate, is not near the player Corbin Carroll is, for example, when it comes to a centerpiece to build around for the future. And Jones wasn't a Rockies product to begin with. They acquired him in a trade with Cleveland. As the Rockies continue to wait and see what they do or don't have in terms of prospects, the D-backs farm system has yielded rising stars that are already paying dividends that could result in a postseason berth this fall. And the future looks much brighter in Phoenix than it does in Denver. Manny shuts things down and puts the wraps on another park-adjusted Rockies podcast. Our thanks to Steve Gilbert from MLB.com for being on the show and giving us a little Space Jam flashback. And as always, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.